The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. So, um, so thankful for Jerry's testimony. Um, you know, in this, in the text that we're looking at today, uh, Jesus asks. Martha to take away the stone to roll this stone away from her her brother's burial cave right that 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 he's been in for four days and uh and this is this is a moment where he's asking her to to stand on his promise and so I appreciate Jerry's testimony when Jerry came in it was it was pretty obvious on uh at breakfast that that there was there was a wrestling and and Jerry's one of those very transparent individuals that I that's one of the many things I love about Jerry and he just you know threw this out the wrestling with this haven't slept well tonight or last night and and uh and let me share what the scenario is and and instantly you know the Lord led us to to uh to Matthew 18 and I want to I want to just segue into the to the message by sharing this because I think it's so pertinent Here's the thing. Do you think when Peter said, Lord, <laughs> I'm not going to deny you. I, I, I'll die with you. Do you think he meant that? Do you think that earlier in, the, in, this, in this chapter 11, when, when, uh, when Thomas said, well, then guys, let's go with him to Jerusalem that we might die with him. Do you think that Thomas meant that? I do. I believe that there was conviction in their heart in that moment. And then when we sing these songs where we say, man, man, when it goes down, Lord, and it's going to go down, the storms of life are familiar to all of us. Man, I'm going to run into your arms. I'm going to stand on your promises. You know, we, we make these declarations. Um, you know, uh, Martha in this passage uh, or earlier in this text says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she doesn't stop there. She goes on to say something else. Do you remember what she says? But even now, whatever you ask, the Father will give you. Like, I know that. And, uh, and Jesus had, had made a promise to her four, well, in this case, three days earlier. He made a promise that she had received by messenger that this, this, this sickness, the illness of the one you love will not end in death. That was a promise made from the, the very mouth of God. And he's going to ask her to stand on that. He's going to ask her to believe that. And guys, you know, this was, this was a, a scenario that, that Jerry described that, you know, man, there's some horrific things that happen in, in the context of our world. And, uh, and what is the posture that we should have to, towards uh, the victim and the offender? What is, what, is, what is our posture? What is Christ's posture? What is, what is God's mission in this moment? And when it's, when it's something that's not, it's not felt, it's not personal, so oftentimes, uh, even, even when it's just hypothetical initially, man, we can, we can have these lofty, um, uh, ideal responses to the things that are going to come, right? Like, man, if you test me, I'm going to be faithful, Lord. You know, let us go to death with him. I'll never deny you. You know, whatever you ask, even now, right? We'll make these statements. And then the, then the father's so faithful to, you know, in the classroom of life. We as disciples, learners, students, we get the lesson practically, right? And we find that sometimes, man, I thought my faith was ready for this. And, uh, and we find ourselves in a courtyard around a charcoal fire going, him? No, I don't even know who he is. And we're, I think we're all in that boat. And, and yet, you know, like Friday morning at men's breakfast, uh, we get into the text and we start looking at what, what forgiveness is from God's perspective and how in the Lord's prayer it says that we, that Lord, forgive me as I have already forgiven those who have trespassed against me. Right? And then later on in that same passage, um, we're told that in Matthew 6, that if we don't forgive, neither will our heavenly Father, what? 
Why? Because we haven't really understood the magnitude of the grace and mercy that we've been bathed in. And so we get into this passage on Friday and we look at like, what is 10,000 talents? What's Jesus talking about? This is a currency that's, that's, that's foreign to our concept. And basically a talent in, in first century Jewish culture or economy was an annual wage. So Jesus was, was depicting that, I mean, think about it, 10,000 annual wages. If you work hard all your life, Say you start working at 15, you work to 75, 60 years. That's impressive. But you're never going to think about 10,000 annual wages. What kind of number is that? Right? Jesus was, was giving him a number in this, in this illustration of the unmerciful servant that, that could never be repaid. Just a debt beyond all debts. And, and, and we see this guy that, that begs and pleads with the king Please, please have mercy on me. And it says the king in a merciful posture says, your debt is forgiven. Guys, that's a picture of what Christ did for us. I mean, a debt beyond our wild, I mean, past, present, future covered humanity's sin debt and Jesus paid it all, covered. Only he could do such a, a glorious work in order to rescue, ransom, set us free, liberate us from our, 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 our debt. And then it says, then this wicked servant goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. What's a denarii? It's a day's wage. A hundred days wages. Okay, so we know that, that in the Jewish culture, 300 denarii would be a talent, would be an annual wage. So basically, this is a third of, of your annual income. So whatever your annual income is, it's a third of it. So if you're on par with, let's say, 45,000 the the average income, uh, I, I did, I've been researched that recently. Um, so that's about $15,000 in our currency. So Jesus was not trying to say this is just a, a dime or a penny or an insignificant debt. He was saying this is a significant hurt, transgression, debt. And, uh, and so he goes out and what does this guy do, this wicked servant? He chokes him, says, repay me. Now, what, what did he just experience? What he, I mean, to a grace to what extent? <laughs> Beyond his wildest dreams, liberated, set free from this, and he goes out and chokes a fellow servant for 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 fifteen thousand compared to bill. You know, and this is this is what we looked at. I don't want to get too far into this because that's not our our aim. But guys, here's the deal. You know, in this parable or in this event. Jesus looks at Martha and says, take away the stone. Okay, now, what he is calling her to in this moment is to believe my word that this will not end in death. Stand on that, right? In the moments where we're called to forgive somebody for a horrendous act done to us personally or even worse to our kids or grandkids, what are we going to obey God's word or are we going to give in to our flesh, our feelings and our fears? Are we going to walk by faith or are those things going to be the, 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 the motivators to, our, to define our actions? And I believe these are tests. I believe these are moments where, we, where we're really defined uh, to, to, by what we're going to stand on, what we're going to believe in, what do we trust in, what is our lives marked by? And it's so interesting that we see this uh, chronology in the scriptures where, oh, I'll go with you to death, Jesus. No, I don't even know who he is. And I mean, we're talking about hours, hours. In this case, days. And so, yeah, are we human? Do we, are we critical of those that were in Jesus' context or community? Not if we're honest about our own struggles and doubts that when 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 it really comes to us man what are we going to do we're going to listen god is patient in this process of sanctifying i love that first thessalonians 5 24 says the one who calls you is faithful he's faithful we need the fruit of the spirit to be faithful right like he's the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it and it's talking about making us holy sanctifying us finishing what he started in us 
And so here's, here's the thing that I conclude with some of that is that God's going to be faithful to bring the test. And why are we tested? You know, the attitude we're challenged to is count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work, right? Perseverance, endurance, persistence, so that you are mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What is God's agenda to mature us, to, to impart his character, his, his very, his, himself, to give us his heart, his mind, through these moments. And so when you're taught something in the word, you can trust that God is faithful to give us an opportunity to put that into practice. And when we, when we come to those moments, our attitude should be not that, look, none of us like the, 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 the trial, the, the, the test at times, but we love what the test produces. We love the, what God's agenda is in it. And that's what we rejoice in, knowing that God is going to be faithfully challenging us always. I mean, think about it. If we, the, whole, the whole gospel of John, right? We're, we're here now on the seventh of the, the signs of the gospel of John, right? And in every single one of them, what was Jesus cultivating in the heart's of those that were were, uh, spectators of that sign. Believe, right? These things are written. I mean, these things are written. What's it say right above here? That you may, that's, that's the hope. And that's the whole agenda here in chapter 11. Jesus says it right from the start. I was glad I wasn't there so that you might believe. In other words, he's already saying, so that when I raise him from the dead, this will not end in death. You're going to believe something more significant about who I am, that the Father sent me, and that I am who I said I am. And if you put your trust in me, that you too will rise from the dead. This is, this is the glorious good news. All right, so today's message is called Take Away the Stone because as it relates to Jerry's, mess- Jerry's testimony is this. Are we going to be challenged to forgive beyond the world's paradigm of what's what forgiveness looks like i mean beyond what is warranted or or i mean you know peter comes to jesus and said you know how much how many times must i forgive you know culture says three oh let me be benevolent how about seven times and jesus says look it's not a math formula it's not 70 times seven or 77 times it's it's every time and so when you come to a moment and the promise this is a promise to you that every single one sitting in this room is going to have to forgive, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is what it says. Forgive one another as you in Christ have been forgiven. Like, to the extent you've been forgiven, to the grace that's been bathed over your life, if God's mercies are new every morning, so should ours. And how does that affect marriage? Does that have a positive impact in the relationship of marriage? that grace abounds and that forgiveness is, is, constant, is, is given uh, in trusting ourselves to a faithful creator who judges justly. Like We're going to leave that to God and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the mercy. Because we, we looked at it Wednesday night that, that in, in, uh, in chapter f- 2, uh, I think it's verse 13 uh, of James, it says, and I talked about last week, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that what the cross tells us that mercy wins right that that and that forgiveness wins that grace wins don't we don't we have a testimony in our own life that says grace won in my life right and but that's meant to not be something we know but something we live something we you know because here's the deal guys much like in martha in this story there's going to come a time where jesus is going to say Take away the stone. What? Take away the stone. Let me give you some uh, other examples. Um, and and I, I, I say this under this question. Have you ever been asked by the Lord to do something crazy or outrageous? Well, I want to tell you that it's pretty much all over the scriptures. It's, uh, I think of Matthew 17. Okay, now, I want to give chronology here. At the beginning of Matthew 17... Peter witnesses the transfiguration of Christ, right? And then the next thing we see is there's a, a, a demon cast out. And then we come to this moment where Jesus, where Peter is a 
accosted by um, some temple guards and they're saying, look, does your, does your rabbi pay the temple tax? And by the way, where's yours? And, uh, and he has this confrontation and he comes back to Jesus and he's like, what am I supposed to do about this? And, uh, and Jesus just gives him a little lesson on, you know, you know, that, uh, you know, the sons of the king, they, you know, they're free, but that's not the case in this kingdom. That's my king, you know, and just unpack some of that. But, but what he, this is what he says to him. He says, now he, keep in mind, he's saying this to a fisherman, okay? And he tells a fisherman that what's, you know, what's, what's the temple tax? You know, it's, it's two drachma for each person, right? And a four drachma coin, but we're getting a currency lesson this morning, is a shekel, right? So he needs a shekel to pay both his and, and Jesus' um, um, temple tax. And this is, Jesus sends the fisherman on a fishing trip and tells him to throw out a hook. I don't hear anything about bait. He says, throw out a hook, and the first fish you catch in his mouth will be the shekel coin. Now, it's interesting because we don't know. It doesn't say anything after that. We don't know if Peter did it or didn't. I would imagine after transfiguration, Peter's going with, yeah, but as a fisherman, you're going, what? You want me to do what? Right? It sounds very familiar to, you know, go out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch after you fished all night and caught nothing. And because you said so, Lord. And I believe at this, this moment in the, in, in, the, in the equation, Peter went out and found Jesus' words to be faithful. Guys, do, do you think it was a little crazy for, for God to ask Noah to build a boat? By the way, that was a football field and a half long with three boys. A hundred years. It hadn't rained. A global flood I mean, do you think he was thought to be crazy when he was being obedient to God's word? I mean, what about Abraham? Abraham's asked to take his son, his only son, referring to the promised son, and I want you to go three days journey. Boy, this starts to sound familiar in light of the cross, but I want you to go three days journey, and then I want you to take him up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him there. What? Isn't this the son you said that the, the descendants would come from and that would number the stars in the sky and the sea, sand on the seashore. Like, how does that work, God? But it doesn't say that. It says Abraham made preparations the night before, got, got everything together, headed out first thing, and he stood at a foot, the foot of Mount Moriah and said, we will go up and worship and we will return, right? And Hebrews 11 tells us that he, he, he reckoned that God would bring him back to, to from, but here's the thing. God's gonna ask us to do things that don't make sense logically, Right? He's going to ask us to do things that, 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 that cause us to wrestle with that emotionally. But are we going to stand on his word? Are we going to stand on his promises when those moments come? Jesus had given a promise to Mary and Martha. In verse 4 of this passage, it says, And when Jesus heard it, in other words, the messenger coming, by the way, just a reminder, as the messenger was coming from Mary and Martha, what happened? Lazarus died. So when they got, the, this is so important to the, to the, to the, to the method, the whole thing is that when, when the messenger comes back, you know, kind of at peace to the fact that, you know, Lazarus isn't going to die. Jesus said so. He gets home and Lazarus is dead. In fact, he's been dead for a day. And he's, he's having to tell them the, the, the word of God. Have you ever been the one that has to tell people the word of God and it doesn't seem to make any, any sense in the context of their circumstances? They're going, wait a second, my brother's dead and Jesus said, what? He said, this will not end in death. This is so that God might be glorified and the son might be exalted or glorified. Right, that is the promise. That's the word that's given by Jesus in that moment. And man, there are times where we're, we're asked to give someone a, a, a word of scripture and encouragement. And in their context, they're saying, you, you don't even understand. Like that doesn't, that's crazy talk, right? I mean, the, the messenger comes back and, and, and I'm sure he found out Lazarus is dead. And, and, uh, and he's like, well, Jesus said that this would not end in death. What did he say? That this would not. So we have two conclusions to make. Right? Either Jesus' words fail or his word is faithful. Right? And, uh, and current circumstances don't tick dictate God's faithfulness or God's limitations as far as what he can do. And so what it says is, 
Um, he says, when Jesus heard it from the messenger, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is not, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified in it. So important that we remind ourselves of, of Jesus's promise specifically to Mary and Martha. Now let's keep in mind that the first 16 verses of this, Jesus was dealing with his disciples and he said, so I'm, I, he said, I was glad, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm not, he's not saying I'm glad Lazarus dies, died. I'm just glad I wasn't there. Because this is going to end differently and it's going to increase your faith so that you might believe is what he says. So they all believe, think about this, they all believe that Jesus could do a miracle if Lazarus was still alive. What did the sister say? If you had been here, Lord, right? Um, I'll, I'll share another verse later. Um, and, and it says, but no one had ever died in Jesus' ministry. But now that Lazarus is dead, so is the faith that he can rise the dead. That, the, this, if you listen to all of the statements that are made and recorded, no one, everyone is kind of saying, if you'd have been here, but now that he's dead, it's just the way it is now. In other words, what, my question is, what is, what is that statement Satan, I mean, is that accurate to the, to the circumstances? Is that accurate to our paradigm? Yes. But is that true of what God can do and, and, who, and who Christ is, the conqueror of death? See, because what they were saying was true in their reality or context. And think about this in our own lives. But it wasn't true about who Jesus is and, who, and what he could do. And that's where we need to live. And in, in what, is, what is possible, that doesn't presume upon God's will and what he will do unless it's promised in the scriptures. But they had all, everybody had resigned to, in fact, twice in this passage, they don't even refer to him as Lazarus anymore. They refer to him as the dead man, right? Because that's now his identity. He, but Jesus doesn't refer to him that way. He's, he's the one on the other side of that, that, that calls him by name. So interesting at the last part of the verse right before our text this morning, it says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Right? But, but they're resigning to the fact that that's his lot now. Lazarus is gone. In John 15, remember this? And this is what Jesus says, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. He's spe- who's the you here? his disciples. He is still, you know, less than two weeks out from his own demise, from his own cross and his own tomb and his own stone. He is, he is still working on the belief of his disciples saying, I'm glad because, so my question is this guys, what is it all about? What is, what is the objective of God in the in the in our Christian life, yeah, we, we know that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, but how that gets done is he is increasing our faith through the trials and adversities and the struggles and so so the the question we should ask when not if we face whatever in life, the storms we need to ask, God, what are you teaching me well, how might my faith grow through this experience? I mean, what is god's agenda here? Because we know God, he's going to be sovereign in this moment. So let me read the passage for us. Short text, still in the chronology of what we we were in John chapter 11, picking up in verse 38. I'm going to read through 44 and later look at 45 and 46. But listen to what this says. Then Jesus deeply moved again. We know that verse 35, Jesus wept. We talked about the indignation of Jesus in this moment, the, the mourning, the, 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 you know, the, the, the empathy of our high priest. Um, Rob unpacked that for us last week so beautifully. And, and then we also talked about, like, here's life himself looking at the consequence of sin and the result of sin. The wages of sin is death. And he is, life himself is, in, he's indignant. He's like, because why? Because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that, that he loves us, and this is not what I, this is not what I, I created you for. And, uh, and so in that moment, he is deeply moved again. Sure, compassion for his people. Yes, God is tender-hearted, and he is present, and he mourns and weeps and feels our pain. Yes, but the bigger picture is that Jesus is, is 
is grieving the consequence of sin and its ultimate offense in death. And it says, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. King James, I always say this, you know, but Lord, but he'll stinketh, you know, um, for he has been dead four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not? Now see, what is he reminding her of? What we read in verse four, don't miss this. He's reminding her specifically of the message, the promise that he gave her. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Doesn't God remind us in those moments? Man, trust me, stand on my word here. I know the circumstances look dark and bleak. I mean, do you think that the, that the Israelites, you know, backed into a corner at the Red Sea, the most powerful military force barking down their backs? Did you not think, I mean, listen to their statement. Was there not enough graves in Egypt? I mean, we, we know what their posture is in that, this moment. And Moses, Moses had heard a word from the Lord and he beckons them to trust him. And God made a way where there was no way. And they walked, they walked through the Red Sea. And God not only delivered them, but he, he conquered the enemy at the same time. Picture of the cross. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that, I, that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they, why, why? That they may what? Believe. What's the goal here? That you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands, can you imagine the response? I mean, I already described like their, their posture about this. It, you know, Lazarus, he's a dead man. It, it's done. And, and he you know, wrapped in grave clothes, comes to the mouth of a cave. And this man has been dead four days. And uh, the man who had died came out. Scripture so often kind of has these statements. Oh, and, and, and he just came out. I mean, but we got to take that stuff in. His hands and his feet were bound with linen cloths or strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, this is, we'll get to this in a minute, unbind him and let him go. Is, you know, I want to ask a question as we end at that moment. Um, could Jesus just have caused the, the, uh, the linen cloths to fall off and the strips and all that too? Could he have? Sure. But he says to those around him, unbind him and let him go. It's awesome. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So um, I want to walk through the passage a little bit. Then Jesus moved Uh, Deeply moved again. Uh, Let's remember here, uh, what I wrote here is Hebrews 1, is that that he's the exact imprint of God. He said to the group, he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we see Jesus' response to things, we get an idea of the Father, right? He's showing us the Father's response in in human terms. Um, And it says, Jesus, life himself, hated death. So he was moved again, came to the tomb, Now, my question is, did Jesus know the father's plan when he came to the tomb, right? He came to the tomb and he, he, but, but he was walking it out in, in not only the father's plan, but in the father's time. So my question is, how did he know the father's plan and the father's timeline? He asked him, he sought him for it. Here, here's an important thing we need to understand. Remember Jesus, uh, Jesus is later on here, Jesus is going to Jerusalem and it's, it, it's going to be his demise. Peter sees the writing on the wall and he basically says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you do that, Jesus. It's funny how man tries to tell God what to do, right? Like, I'm not going to let you do that, Jesus, because this isn't going to go well for you. And Jesus says those words, right? Get behind me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, what was Peter's heart in that moment? I'm going to protect you from yourself here. Uh, you know, I love you and I'm, I'm going to keep you from... And yet, in that, in that posture, he was completely at odds with God. Here's, here's my point in this, guys. is that sometimes our compassionate response might not be God's will. 
Just because, you know, societal code says, man, if this is going on, think about it. Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus, who he loved, and his sisters, and he waited two days. That doesn't sound very loving to our context. If you've got resources and your friend of yours uh, has need of those resources and you have the ability to give it to him and don't give it to him, that doesn't sound very loving. But Jesus was emphatic about this. And this is what he gives that little illustration about 12 hours in the day. He's basically talking about, I don't do anything without the father telling me to. I don't go until the, because here's the thing for us guys. His ways are not our ways. They're not. His ways are higher than our ways. Like, and we, we have to submit. We don't have to. That's the unfortunate thing. <laughs> but we should. Like, like Jesus had already talked this through with the Father. He knew the Father's timetable. He was walking it out to perfection. And in doing that, he had an, in, he had a, he had an insight into what's going on here that they may believe. And because he knew that's the ultimate aim, the goal, the, the objective is this that you might know that I'm the son of God, that I am everything that I've declared I am and I can do all that I've promised to do. And if you believe in me, you will have life. And as, as, as Lazarus was raised, so will you. It's, it's the visual uh, depiction that Jesus is giving us here. So it was a cave and the stone lay against it. Days before, he, he would share the same scenario. Like, so let's keep in mind, Jesus was going to share this exact scenario in just a, sh- a short time, right? This is a picture of the ultimate work that Christ was going to do, and he knew it. I mean, he'd already depicted that in clarity and detail to his disciples more than three times. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, guys, I believe Martha's words there was what like we have to kind of put this in our modern context this is like you're at a you're at a you're at a a a, a, a funeral reception that's been going on for several days you're meeting with a family that's continuing to mourn and uh and then you go to you go to the grave site and uh and jesus is basically saying i mean just from modern context he's saying Dig them up and open the casket. That's what he's saying. Dig them up and, and open the casket. Take away the stone. So no wonder Martha goes, Lord, you know, there's this, this, you know, we're always trying to tell Jesus things. You know, it's, you know, like the, the disciples with the feeding of the 5,000. It's, it's dark. It's getting late. These people are hungry and this is a desolate place. I'm sure Jesus knew none of that, right? Right, we got we got to inform God here, and and sometimes that we find ourselves in that posture when we pray, like God, maybe you're not familiar with what's really going on in my heart or my circumstances here, you know. But uh, but but protocol here is that we don't go digging graves up and, and opening up caskets. We don't we don't it, there'll be an odor, you know. This he's he's you know, and so like. But here's the thing. Jesus had made a promise and Jesus was going to fill, fulfill his promise and he wanted, he, wanted, he wanted her to stand on that promise. He was going to do something that was glorious and there's going to be moments in your life, guys, I promise you this, if you are emphatically walking in radical obedience for the Lord, I promise you this, there's going to be moments that the Lord by his spirit in his word is going to say, take away the stone. And it's going to seem crazy, right? What? What do, you, what do you do when God asks you to do something strange? Are, are you like Mary who, who kind of questions here? <laughs> Don't you know, right? Or do you, or do you obey like Abraham did? But let me, let me just give this caveat. You know, earlier on, Abraham was go, told to go to a place that I will show you, Right? He kind of, it says that he settled in Haran. Sometimes we settle too, don't we? We kind of settle along the way. We don't, and then he gets encumbered by all of these possessions that we think are blessings. And then Abraham's having to drag this stuff across the desert. You know, like so, and that might speak to some of us today. (laughs) Hoarding, I don't know. Anyway, so like, um, so what's going on here is she is asked to stand on his promise. This will not end in death. And she begins to question, and then this is what Jesus says. Jesus, um, Martha, 
The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed <laughs> that is that this would not end in death and that I am the resurrection and the life, the two conversations he's had with her, which was the fifth I am statement, you would see the glory of God, right? If you, if you just stand on my promise here, Guys, there are going to be, there are countless occasions in all of our paths where we have not stood on the word of God. I mean, it's true for all of us. We, we all have the Peter experience, right? Where, where we've probably wept bitterly because we did something that we know the Lord said we would do and, and we didn't, and we did it, you know, like, and, uh, and then what do we experience? We see you know, Jesus comes to the shoreline, beckons Peter to another charcoal fire. Interesting right? And then three times again, reconciles him back to ministry under the context of love, his love for him and his love demonstrated to others. And so like, guys, but here's the ideal that we will roll the stone away. You know, Abraham had a journey to this point where he got up early, made preparations the night before and did what God asked him to do, even though it made no sense to God's First promise. And isn't that, is that any different than the promise that Martha and Mary received than, than Abraham's promise in light of what, what he was being asked to do? Are you, here's the deal, guys. Are you going to stand on his word? Or are you going to give in to your flesh, your feelings, the, the, the paradigm of the world? You know, anybody else would have quit by now. Anybody else would... Would, 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 would not forgive this. Are we going to do it his way or our way, the world's way? Are we going to stand on his promises? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. That's, they obeyed Jesus' word. They did what Jesus asked, even though it broke social protocol and bordered on lunacy, digging up the grave and opening the casket after four days. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In other words, I've already prayed this through with you. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here. Why? Why, why, why does Jesus say and do everything that he does that they may believe that you have sent me? Guys, everything that God's doing in your life is to increase your faith. Is to give, and you know what overcomes the world? Faith. You know what pleases God? Faith. You know what God wants to do? Because if you are, if your faith is strong, you will overcome. Look, David, David brought a stone to a sword fight because his confidence wasn't in the stone. Guys, you're going to face things that are going to be bigger than you, but none of them are bigger than him. And he doesn't want you to put your confidence in you because that's exactly what Moses did at the burning bush. He goes, oh, yeah, 40 years ago, I was up for this. You know, I kind of probably did it the wrong way, but I was going to do this, Lord. But you know, I'm 80 now, and this isn't really the right time. In fact, I stutter now. And, and it's, it says hey, that the Lord got angry. He said, who made your mouth? Like, like, you know, God doesn't like us saying no thanks. You know, it's more like here I am, send me is a better response. You know, like, but, but, but don't you love that, that it seems like Daniel marches into the, to the lion's den. That, that Shadrach, Meshach, and, and, and Abednego, Abednego, like they go into the fiery furnace. And, but, but they were honoring the Lord. And did God protect? Did God deliver? Did God defeat? Did God bring victory? But what did he do in that that was more significant? Did God increase faith? For those that watched, those that saw, those that experienced, those that walked it out. Man, this is what he wants to do. So interesting thought here is uh, as it relates to prayer. Just a thought. Our confidence in prayer. Now, now I want you to think through this. Our confidence in prayer, because Jesus just just was an example to us in this. Um, our, Our confidence in prayer comes not from what we pray or how we pray, but to whom we pray. I'll say that again. Our confidence in prayer does not come from what we pray or how we pray, but to whom we pray. That's where our confidence lies. The first picks up in 43 and goes on to say, when he had said these things, speaking of Jesus, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, 
come out. Now, I'm going to read a verse here um, that I think is super powerful. And I end with this later, but I want to just read it now because Jesus said this six chapters earlier. More than halfway through his ministry earlier, he says this. In chapter 5, and you want to write this down, verses 24 and 25. Um, Lisette, this is at the very end of the slides. Um, But listen to what this says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's already made this statement, right? And then he says, right? He says, Lazarus, come out. I like what Augustine said about this. Um, This is my paraphrase of what Augustine said, but good thing... um, he said Lazarus, otherwise, who knows how many would have risen? You know, I mean, he, he had to name him because he was in a cemetery, you know, so because he's, he's, he's got the power to raise the dead. So he's, he's being very specific here. And he says, Lazarus, come out. But it's interesting. Everybody now was referring to him as the dead man. Jesus was speaking of him as someone who is alive, right? Um, moving on to verse 44. The man who had died came out. <laughs> the man who had died, uh, his hands and feet bound in linen strips and his face wrapped up in cloth. Uh, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, this piece here that I'm going to share with you came from a commentary that I, I just had to do it for, for word for word to share with you. And it goes back to what Marty said in the middle of the song set and what I mentioned earlier. Guys, you know, he could have dropped all the linen cloth right off of their Lazarus's face and body. But here's the interesting thing. He said, He said to them, unbind him. And guys, I think that that's the ministry of the church to one another. Listen, we walk out of the grave and we still got grave clothes on. We're still, we're alive now. We're a new creation, but but we still have these tendencies and these paradigms and these these broken paths that the enemy loves to point to and the shame and guilt, all that. But but what do we do for one another? We, We unbind each other. And we use the truth of God's word. Jesus said, unbind them. That's, that's our mission within the church. L- let me read it to you this way. Jesus was and is the life giver and the giver of life. He brings a second birth to those who are dead in sin. But his gift um, uh, for forgiveness or of forgiveness and the indwelling spirit do not create instant perfect Christians. Can I hear an Amen. Right, we're 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 saved in three stages. We're justified, sanctified, and glorified. We're saved, being saved, and ultimately we will be fully saved. Right, um, but we we don't start out. We're not instantly, you know, perfect Christians. We enter Christ's kingdom with many of the old wraps still around us, old habits, sinful behaviors, painful memories. All of these things require. Listen, this is this is this is what he, unbind them. This is our. This is. I hope you hear this. This is the privilege that we have to be in ministry to one another. It says, all these things require gentle, loving removal. Like grave clothes, we no longer need them. We need fellow Christians and Christ's power, the indwelling work of his Holy Spirit to unwrap us. To unwrap us. Does that not just refresh you? to unwrap us. It is Jesus' command that our healing be complete. Who can help unwrap? And it's you. That's, that's what we get to do with one another. That's how we get to love each other through all of that. We get to, to t- listen, you're not dead anymore. You don't need this. You're alive. This, this is not a part of, you know, and we lovingly and gent- gently, you know, embrace God's word, teach God's word that sets, sets us free. And then another piece I, I want to share as we wrap up. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us in an eternal sense. What he did for Lazarus, he's done for us in a spiritual and eternal sense. Raised us up and unbound us from slavery to sin and released us. He set us free. Let me read this passage for you. This is Ephesians 2, 
1 through 10. And it really, I think it, it tells the story, it, you know, with, with Lazarus in the background as an illustration, it tells the story of the redemptive work of the cross and the glorious uh, work that he's accomplished in the saint. Listen to what it says. And you were, past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, isn't it interesting that it says you were dead and you were walking? You know, I think it's Jeremy Camp has a song out right now, Dead Man Walking, right? That's what we are. That's our, that's our spiritual state before we are born again. We are, we are dead in our trespasses and sin, walk, zombies, but there's no life in us. There's no eternity in us. There's no, there's no hope in us. Uh, and he says, um, so you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. Don't you love that? That's my favorite two words in this whole section. But God. He changes. He unwraps us. He, he delivers us. He makes us alive in Christ. So it goes on, verse 4, but God, rich in mercy. There's the, there's the, the attribute behind what he, did, he does for us or has done for us. But God, rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us. What's our theme this year? What's our theme this year? Living, loved. Not living love, living under the, 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 the convincing truth that we are loved by a creator despite what we've done and who we are. God loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. Right, it says, but God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, get this, made us alive together with Christ. What did Jesus do in order for Lazarus to walk out of that grave alive? He, he spoke his word and he fulfilled his promises that he had made to the sisters. It's the same thing with us. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, right? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what I think is interesting and we'll see this next week. Tom's gonna preach on this. Is that the very next thing we see is that there's a, there's a party at Mary Lazarus and, and Mary's house and Martha's house. There's a party. And guess who's seated at the table? The dead man, right? I mean, listen to what this says here, right? He's seated with Jesus, you know, in this, in this banquet, in this celebration. And he raises us up uh, with him and seats, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show his, the immeasurable riches of his grace to future generations in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift. It is the gift, the unmerited gift of God. Not a result of your works, a result of his work, right? His perfect work. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, his poem, his his architecture, his his, his creation. We are created. And the only reason we got there is we were created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? For good works. To unwrap the saints of their grave clothes and then to come alongside those who are lost and be the empowered witness that we're called to be. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, not know them, but live them. God's word is meant to be obeyed, not just simply known. And then verse 45, I just think this is interesting in 46. Many Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had, you know, she raced from the house to sit at Jesus' feet, had, had seen what he did, Jesus just did, believed in him. That's the fruit of the suffering that Lazarus went through. That's the fruit of the trial and the testing that Mar Mary and Martha went through. That's the fruit of the lesson that the disciples experienced is that they also these spectators also believed in him. But isn't it interesting, the hard-hearted, but some of them went to the Pharisees, tattletales, and told them what Jesus had done. 
what Jesus had done. In Luke 16, 31, in the parable of the Lazarus and the rich man, isn't it interesting in relationship to that? I, I pulled out verse 31. Um, it says, he, speaking of Abraham, said to him, being the rich man in this parable, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they do not hear with the, with the understanding of obedience, like it's not just listen to it. If they do not obey God's word, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So on the other side of chapter 11 for me as we close is, and, and let's have the worship team come and, and sing a song, which gives us an opportunity, guys, not just to sing a song, but to contemplate what the Spirit of God is stirring in our hearts, what he's kind of, you know, because if we, if we walk away from this experience, you know, we're not meant to be mere listeners of the word, but do it. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves, James one twenty two says. For me, what this passage has taught me is that God makes promises to us. And those promises in the context in which they're meant to be applied often seem out of bounds, crazy. Um, and if you're the messenger, somehow it's, sometimes it's hard to even state those promises because in the context in which they're stated, they just seem difficult or hard. But God wants to stretch our faith. God wants us to stand on his promises. God wants us to live his word and not just know his word. And so that's our challenge today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that never returns void, that always accomplishes the perfect purpose for which it is sent. We thank you that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. We thank you that it's your desire to continually stretch our faith through these moments. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen us to stand on your word and not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you so that you might make our path straight. We love you, Father. We're thankful for your word, for your will, for your for your way, for your son, for your spirit. We're so grateful for your love, for your mercy. Oh, that we might be the hands and feet of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.